0: Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to the Tommy Me Southern Podcast. I'm Logan, and here with me today is my good friend, Andrew. How are you doing today, Andrew?
1: Um, I'm coming to terms with the fact that I'm absolutely horrific at fantasy football.
0: <laughs> you lost both your matches. I was pretty impressed, because you came fucking,
1: close. Fucking Will Lutz. Is and that, Both of my defenses scored negative points. That's how good I am at this whole fantasy football thing.
0: Is Will Lutz the Saints kicker? Oh, man. Yeah, because I got a text from Ozzy when he beat you. He was like, oh, thank God for that kicker. (laughs) I was like, wow.
1: Both of my had negative points this week.
0: Oh, yeah. The pain pain just rubs in the pain right there. I don't know. Well, hopefully you'll get better luck this week. I think... uh, I don't know who you're playing in the fraternity league, but I know the uh, work league, I think you've got an easier matchup against the guy who doesn't know what he's doing.
1: I mean, to be fair, those sometimes too,
0: they are the lucky bitches, So you never know. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Anyway, we are a college football podcast, so we should probably be talking about college football. Don't you think?
1: Yeah, probably. Wouldn't hurt. Honestly, with all of our fans in Sweden, we should probably talk about like hockey or ice fishing or something.
0: Yeah. So, what is your favorite type of cured and smoked fish?
1: Uh, probably salmon.
0: Really? Okay. I don't know. It's
1: really the only one that I've eaten a lot of. To be honest, uh, it's the easiest to get a hold of. I've had anchovies before; they're not too terrible. But like, in terms of smoked, you know, good, you know, some good smoked salmon on a on a bagel with some cream cheese and some capers.
0: You just like locks.
1: yes. That's <laughs> salmon, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> technically, yes. You're technically correct. The best kind of correct. So yeah, I don't. I I don't know. I kind of I kind of like grouper, but I don't know what they've got over there. Some kind of fancy fish.
1: A different heading.
0: Oh, herring. Yeah. I haven't had. They see that's they don't have herring over here. I don't know. It's harder to come by anyway. Yeah. Okay, so back to college football. <laughs> uh. Well, what this week has given us some, quite some interesting games, uh, some very close to being upset games, some actual upset games, a lot of kickers falling short of the mark. Um, and a lot of teams trying going out there and proving they are who we thought they were or that they're huge disappointments in every way to their fan base. So, you know, one or the other, uh, let's see, Andrew, I want to start off with talking about our winners from each week. Who who was the winner for week two in your opinion?
1: I think there's really two teams that were big winners on the national level, and that's LSU and USC. I think LSU, we've seen an offense. You know, we've always talked for years about if LSU, you could ever have a pretty good offense to go with that fantastic defense they always have they might be a big threat well we saw it with joe burrow and that offense so lsu definitely kind of had a good coming hey guys we're still here there's more to the west than just alabama and then usc with backup quarterback Kadon slovis you know coming in your jt daniels and just beat up on stanford a team that we usually think is fairly good defensively you know our Our all-name All-American, Emmon Ross St. Brown. Eight catches for 97 yards and two touchdowns. So a little early, but shout-out to Yeah, Ross. Those two teams are really, in my mind, the biggest national. Hey, guys, you should pay attention to us winners of the weekend. And I guess a a small shout-out to Maryland, who just beat the brakes off of Syracuse. (laughs)
0: Uh, Maryland's definitely one of those teams that came out and proved themselves. And Syracuse, I don't know what was going on in that game. Uh, if they just they just could not get the engine started on the offensive machine that they usually have, and their defense did not show up uh, or at least didn't get off the bus, it seemed like. But uh, that was a rough game to watch if you were an ACC fan because that just was a slap in the face. Well, and
1: we expected, you know, the, the whole offseason the talk has been, you know, Syracuse is the second best team in in the conference. Behind Clemson and da 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 they go and give up, you know, sixty three points and six hundred and fifty total yards. Give up three hundred and fifty four yards on the ground. Maryland averaged seven point nine yards per carry. <laughs> like there what?
0: was there was no defense there to be had at all. I mean if you thought that Syracuse was going to challenge Clemson this week, I think uh, that last game has thoroughly dispelled any notion of that. Yeah,
1: the uh, the line for the Syracuse Clemson game right now is twenty seven and a half points.
0: <laughs> I I I wanted to believe that if that was what it was before the season started, I want to believe that I would have picked Syracuse to like at least cover. I don't know about win, but yeah, cover. And now I'm not so sure. I think. Clemson could probably put up 80 on this team.
1: Also, look, e, looking at the schedule, Maryland could have one loss going into their November 2nd match with Michigan.
0: That's kind of crazy are, to think about. Are
1: you ready to talk to your kids about one loss, Maryland? Because I'm not. <laughs> it's, a,
0: it's a scary prospect. I What's worse is I don't want that to be... Because Maryland's in the east, right? So I don't want that to be like a four-headed beast between Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State, and Maryland of all people. That's going to be a tough thing for me to wrap my skull well, around. Well, to be
1: fair, Maryland's last four games are Michigan at Ohio State, Nebraska, and at Michigan State. Ugh. So they what they don't suffer early, they, they make up for late.
0: I don't know, that said, Nebraska does has not been that scary based on what we saw against the, uh, Colorado, but uh, their fans seem to travel just to get disappointed, so that's good. Speaking of, that brings me to my winners for Week 2. So this is kind of a strange one. I kind of wanted to twist it to make my point, but I think uh, my winner for Week 2 are backup kickers, because after a lot of the starting kicker performances we saw from Week 2, I think a lot of backup kickers are going to be getting chances. I saw at least four games that were decided by missed field goals or missed uh, extra points off the top of my head, and I'm sure there were more. Uh, ULM, Army, Miami, and Nebraska all lost because their kickers whiffed on long field goals or makeable field goals. I don't know about long. There were... Uh, ULM, for example, lost, missed an extra point, but, uh, Miami, Nebraska, both missed kind of between, uh, around small, short 40 yard field goals. Army. I don't remember the exact distance, but it was pretty far, uh, had the distance, but couldn't get the lineup correctly. And I do feel bad for the kickers cause they're head cases, but, uh, it's a tough position in college football. There's no real, uh, professional grade, you kind of pick whatever you have available, and I expect after some of those performances, either you'll see more people going for it uh, this upcoming week, or you'll see more kickers getting opportunities uh, down the depth chart. Uh, time will tell how that exactly pans out. I do feel a little rough for the Army kicker, and I know uh, a couple other kickers they mentioned this week had it was their first time trying field goals ever. So it's a little rough to be put in that position to try and win the game. But uh, that's, not, that's not really how it panned out for them. So we'll see how it works out in the future. So with that in mind, we obviously had a lot of close matchups. I mean, just take the ones that we listed off. ULM versus FSU came down to uh, lasted – first off, lasted probably an hour or so longer than it probably should have. And then came down to a missed extra point by ULM in overtime, uh, army Michigan, which army was a team that if you haven't listened to this podcast before much better than, uh, they're given credit for Nebraska, Colorado, uh, Colorado would manage to come back and surprise everybody in a stadium that was really run by Nebraska up until the very few seconds, last few seconds of the matchup. Um, Tennessee by BYU, uh, of matchup that I think took everybody by surprise. There was a lot to unpack from this week too. Uh, I think more than we really expected. Uh, I guess my question coming out of this, Andrew is how much of this can we take away from the lower teams, quote unquote, upsetting some of the bigger teams or the bigger name teams at least are these bigger name teams just struggling or is this kind of a case of parity finally catching up in the NCAA?
1: I think it's a mixture of a lot of things. Uh, Our teams always struggle against Army and Navy to a lesser extent just because of the offense. And the other side of it too is the offense of those teams run really short in the game. You know, you may have normally gotten you know, twelve to fourteen possessions on offense a game, but in a game against a team like Arm they only get nine or ten. And so, if you aren't able to make the progress, you need to you get a game like the Michigan game or the Oklahoma game of the year? Uh, Florida State's just kind of in a disarray. Y- you know, they uh, Tiger may give. You know, he may be on his way out if they can afford to get rid of him. I think he's got an insane buyout, but. Uh, maybe there's, you know, you also talk about early season struggles. I don't know if you saw the Cal Washington 20-19. to 19. Cal kicked a field goal right at the end to win over a, a Washington team that many of us thought would kind of walk away with the the Pac-12 North. But
0: Of course I didn't see that matchup. A, I didn't see that matchup because it ended at 4.30 in the morning, so I'm not going to stay up for that.
1: Well, you know, and you're also starting to wonder, was Nebraska Ode? Uh, everyone at Nebraska. A lot of people picked them to win the West. I think I might even have. And they've really struggled offensively, especially in the first game. They struggle horribly, and then you know you give up 24 points in the fourth quarter to lose to Colorado. You know you blow a 17 to nothing halftime lead. Like man. So uh, to answer your question, it's probably a mixture of a lot of factors. Some teams are in disarray, and some are. Yeah, some you are seeing some parity levels.
0: So it sounds like, though, and for the most part, you're kind of on the side that some of these teams have just not quite fit together in week two the way they probably should have, is that do you think uh, – this is an argument that I heard on the radio recently. Do you think that there should be a preseason kind of period for uh, NCAA football where maybe – it. We kind of have this in week one usually where the teams will play an FCS opponent, but maybe they should make that an official preseason thing where it doesn't count towards the season record uh, and have them play an FCS opponent just to get warmed up. That way everybody's running at the same speed. I don't, I don't know that uh, – I feel like college football purists would probably not enjoy that idea but it's something that I've heard thrown around a couple of times, at least on the radio up here in North Carolina. What are your thoughts on that?
1: I, I don't think it's feasible because you're already squeezing 12 games into 13 weeks, sometimes 13 games into 14 weeks. I just, uh, you know, because you'd have to start camp, say, Mitchell. If, say you, you bumped and you had the first week of the season – you could play a scrimmage or a jamboree or whatever, um, but again, then you, you run into scheduling issues. You no, know, it's it's the same thing as when we talk about if you want to expand the playoff beyond four teams, you're going to have to find time to play, play games, and teams aren't going to give up home games because that's where you make your money, and so you're going to run into issues of what. Well, I mean, you look at the NFL right now where they're talking about trying to bump to an 18-game regular season schedule. I mean, I love football as much as the next guy, but you can get to a point where too much is too much. I mean, you got to give guys time to relax. you got to give guys time to rest, especially the college level where they're going to class. They're doing homework. You know, you've got to give these guys time to be students. You know, you've got to give them time to rest. It's why the NCAA has countable hour rules where you can only practice. Practice or work on football for, I think it's 20 hours a week. You know, you have to take a day off every seven days. Or in a like Sunday to Saturday week, you have to take a day off. They they, they, they really do. And I know people are like, oh, they do, don't care about do. Well, no, they do. There's a lot of rules in place to protect kids. And I just, I don't think that it's feasible to add another week, especially for a preseason it's kind of like the argument of, and I've seen this pop up now again, is why don't you do spring game scrimmages? And uh, and the coaches don't have anything to gain through it. I mean, they don't want to do because they don't want to show anything. They don't have to. So I just, I don't think it's necessary.
0: Well, it does bring up the necessity of preseason in the pros and the fact that you can get injured running a preseason or a, even if you're in a matchup against a lesser team or a lower tier team, you risk injury and you risk the fact that the lower tier team is still going to want to win that matchup. So
1: yeah. Like with basketball, like men's basketball, I know does it where most teams will play either like a D two school or there's like these exhibition, almost like a Harlem Globetrotters, Washington generals type team that'll travel around playing exhibitions against men's basketball teams. But, you know, basketball is a, a two-game-a-week schedule, so you're not really running into the same scheduling issues. And, and actually, college baseball has started to allow fall scrimmages. Like, I know Georgia Tech uh, it will actually go to South Carolina to play a game in the fall. So,
0: Well, yeah, and the, those are also non I know this is kind of like a question in basketball, but theoretically they're non-contact sports. So you're running a lot less risk of injury. And, yeah. you, you know, the scheduling is obviously easier with baseball and basketball where you're running.
1: Well, then the coaches treat them as such. I remember reading an article about one of tech baseball's fall ball games last year. And it was like a 17 inning game where like they played like six or eight innings of actual just regular baseball and like spent the rest of the innings working on like situations like man on you know stealing you know just all kind of just to get guys pitching and you know working against guys that weren't their own so you know it's kind of like how spring football a lot of times has weird scoring rules or they don't do kickoffs or they don't do certain special team stuff you know stuff like that
0: it's I mean, it's a great thing in theory, but like you said, it's very difficult to execute on a wide level, especially at a on the college level, where these kids are theoretically still students and they should be focusing on their grades and everything else. So it's, it's kind of a, it's a tough thing to implement, but it's a it's an idea that is getting tossed around right now, anyway. Uh, so I guess the next topic on the docket is. We had six overtime games this week, and so the eternal discussion has come up again. Uh, Do the overtime rules need adjustment? Because a lot of these overtime games uh, stretched into four-hour kind of battles, uh, took a lot of extra time, and uh, were decided in very strange ways. I mean, going back to the ULM game, uh, where they had a chance to win it if they had decided to go for two and instead they decided to kick a field goal and missed it anyway, uh, or an extra point and missed it anyway. So you kind of got to wonder about some of that decision-making process. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, it's tough for me to argue against because I personally like the college rules for overtime. Uh, I know, Andrew, I think you're in favor of them as well, but do let's try and play devil's advocate here. Uh, I mean, they do take up a lot of time. They take up much more time than the pro rules do, theoretically. The games can't end in a tie, uh, and that can be difficult to deal with uh, for both the players. I I don't know. Do we need to reevaluate the college football overtime rules? Andrew, or is this more of a circumstance of trying to accommodate a national viewership, which is something we've seen a lot uh, in recent days?
1: Um, I I think it's perfectly fine the way it is. To be honest with you, um, we didn't even get to the point where they needed the tweak this year. Where after two overtimes, it goes to alternating two-point conversions, like. And we saw an NFL game end in a tie. You know, I guess the the one tweak, if you really wanted to make it it more exciting, is you require everyone to always go for two-point conversion. Not even allow kicked extra points. Say, if you score a touchdown, you have to go for two.
0: Yeah, you were particularly invested in that NFL game for some reason. I don't know what it was. Hmm.
1: The other side of it, too, is if you wanted to, you know make it crazier um, do the first overtime from the 25, the second from the 30, the third from the 35 until you're getting to where like you're snapping from the 50 yard line to the point where you can't run the ball three times and kick a field goal to keep going.
0: I think the main argument comes from, at least from what I could tell, I was reading this off of the read option, which is the new uh, every day should be Saturday blog. The two main arguments that seem to be against the system are one, the time constraints because they feel like it takes too long, which it does. It takes a while because there's no tie resolution at the at an NFL level. You're going to get base essentially what's one extra quarter. And then it's going to wrap up regardless of uh, the circumstance, either somebody wins or, or it's a tie. Um, at college level, it goes until somebody wins and that's going to take more time. It just is what it is. Um, and then the other argument becomes, uh, decision-making, which is the idea that coaches should always go. it, It incentivizes coaches to always go for two. But to me, that's a coaching decision. That's not really an impact of the, um, overtime itself. That's just something that coaches need to prepare for. Uh, but I don't, I don't know what your take is on it. Personally, I feel like the time constraint kind of goes back to, well, we're turning college football, which is inherently not supposed to be a big-time media event, into a big-time media event, and now we're trying to make it fit to our schedule, which isn't always going to work. I, I don't know, uh, but yeah, you clearly have a very strict policy on you want to keep it the way it is. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I think it's perfectly really fine the way it is.
0: Okay, well, uh, anyway, if that's uh, any other thoughts on that matter,
1: I, like I said, uh, if we're gonna tweak, I think that there could be some some small tweaks in some places, but overall, I, I think it works. I think it does what it's supposed to do. Uh, you know, and like I said, we tweaked them um, the rules this year at the start of the third overtime and we didn't even get
0: that's true. Uh, fair enough. So we didn't, even though we, uh, even though we didn't get there, it's still all the complaints about it. It's kind of interesting. We may see more discussion as time goes on, but for the moment, I think we're okay with where it's at. All right. So, so with that in mind, let's go on to our fourth topic, our fish missing updates. So my guy, Fave Fave, uh, for Washington State, he had an all right game last week against uh, University of Northern Colorado. He had two total tackles, one solo and one assisted tackle, which is not bad. I'm hoping that he'll get more play time this week since he's going up since Washington State's going up against Houston. And I have sadly dropped my other guy uh, Cedric Loc- Alaka, because. Sadly, I don't think he's getting any playing time, so I'm just going to focus on Fave. Uh Andrew, how's your O line at Auburn going?
1: Well, unfortunately, I've learned that Mr. Broderius Ham has not played yet this season, and is not in the too deep at Auburn. So, unfortunately, Mr. Ham may have to take a step back this season. You know, Auburn. Beat lane which was expected. I think the unexpected part was they only did it 24-6. to 6. Uh, They ran the ball pretty well. Jatar- Jatarbius Whitlow, 23 carries for 96 yards and a touchdown. Uh, I don't believe they gave up a sack. It looks like they gave up two quarterback hurries the whole game. So, you know, they played pretty well. And like I said, we, we had an earlier shout-out to Amun-Ra, St. Brown, at USC with his good game, so... I like we've kind of hit the, the
0: fish smithson for the week. Yeah, I'm hoping that I get more stats out of Fahave Fahave next week, but we'll see what, hap- what happens. That should be a fun matchup to watch. All right, moving on. Week three predictions. So a game with a lot on the line for Elizabeth, UNC at Wake Forest, a non-ACC-ACC matchup, oddly enough, on Friday night. It's probably going to be one of the closer ones. I think UNC is favored by three points right now. So it's definitely going to be a tight matchup, at least in the minds of uh, Vegas. Uh, obviously a lot more on the line for you, Andrew, than for me. But uh, after last week, it looks like uh, the Mac attack is bringing UNC back. So I, I'm i kind of hopeful. I haven't seen as much out of Wake Forest, to be honest. I haven't watched a lot of their games, but they're 2-0. and And obviously, people like what they're seeing out of them. So, who do you got in this matchup, Andrew?
1: Man, I'm really excited for this game. These are two offenses that I think are a lot of fun to watch. Uh, Phil Longo, the OC at North Carolina, has really done a lot to help Sam Howell, the freshman quarterback, and and really get that offense moving. You know, they still rely heavily on their running backs. And then the, the claw fence, as it's called at Wake Forest, is one of the most up-tempo, fastest offenses in the country. And Jamie Newman is operating it well, slinging the rock. You know, he's got six touchdowns and 713 yards in two games. Like, it's just – man, I think it's going to be a high-scoring, fun game. It wakes a three-point favorite at home, which means it's basically a push. So, you know, I – I think I'm going to go with UNC because I have a little more faith in their defense of getting the one or two stops they need to get to win the game. And Wake's defense just hasn't hasn't really impressed me yet. Hasn't really shown me that they can make that stop they need.
0: I'm going to be going with UNC as well, partially because I think I've picked against them twice, and it's bit me in the butt twice. But... Also, I saw a lot out of them in last week's comeback win where their offense really came together and showed that they have a desire to win and a drive to kind of maintain themselves even under heavy pressure. And I think that this will be a game where they come out with something to prove. They want to go 3-0. and They want to show that they're not what people thought they were last, uh, last year uh, just because of all the injuries. And I think that... This is going to be a great start to a season for UNC. And who knows, uh, the Coastal's <laughs> up for grabs. They could be a challenger right now to UVA. So this is uh, this is definitely an exciting kind of setup, uh, matchup right now. Uh, and thankfully, one that doesn't work against either of these teams in the ACC for some reason. I still can't quite get my head around that. But hey, uh, you never It's know. one of
1: those where they played each other so much, and they aren't crossover rivals, so they don't play very often as conference opponents. And they just said, You know what, guys, fuck it, let's just play without the ACC's permission.
0: I mean, hey, rivalry matchups, what do you know? They want to keep it going. Yeah,
1: that hour and a half, hour and a half jaunt from Chapel Hill to Winston-Salem.
0: It's a great place, and I mean, it used to be it the is only fun, it used to be Man, the only. They, Sorry, go and ahead. They serve beer. Well, now everyone serves beer, but uh, they used yes. to be the only place to serve beer, so that's cool. Yeah,
1: and there won't be an old tuffy in the city.
0: What about white claws?
1: Both- oh, there'll be tons of why? Are you kidding me? It's the claw fence. <laughs> uh, ain't no laws when drinking claws. Uh,
0: true story. No laws when you're drinking claws. I'm- I only
1: drink white claws on days that end in Y's.
0: Uh, On to our next matchup. Uh, Wazoo going on the road to face Houston in the Texan Stadium, NRG Stadium in Houston. Nerd. Nerg. The nerd. Hopefully hopefully Houston will find it friendlier than uh, the Texans do this week. I feel like the Texans are going to get some feedback after that rough loss against New Orleans. But Wazoo uh, coming into this matchup undefeated, ranked number 20 in the nation. And Houston, I mean, their only loss was an ugly one to uh, Oklahoma. But for the most part, I feel like people are still kind of underestimating them. Now, does that mean they're good enough to go up against Washington State? Well, that's what we're here to talk about. Andrew, what are your thoughts on the matchup?
1: So this is actually a really exciting matchup because this is – mentor versus mentee matchup because Dana Holgerson played for Mike Leach at Iowa Wesleyan. He was a wide receiver for Mike Leach and Hal Mummy, and then has spent a lot of time on Leach's staff throughout the years. And so it's really exciting to see these two kind of old school air raid guys go up against each other and it'll be a really fascinating game especially because Houston's averaging 238 yards running and only 155 yards passing which is kind of like the antithesis of what people think the traditional air raid is so I think it's going to be a really exciting game from an offensive standpoint and a lot of fun to watch with two coaches who obviously have a ton of respect for Uh, you know I think you know, looking at it, Houston's been challenged. Obviously, they played, you know, kind of a shootout game with Oklahoma. Um, Washington State hasn't. You know, New Mexico State and Northern Colorado aren't really that challenging of a game. So, whew, man, I don't know. This is tough. Eight and a half point favorite for the Cougars. Uh, I think I'm going to go with that. I think, I think the Master gets one over on the youngling.
0: Yeah, this is kind of an interesting matchup for me as well, because as much, of it, as, much as it is an uh, offensive-based matchup, as you pointed out, these two guys are really known for their air raid offenses. What sh- the, I think the old uh, adage will be true here is when you talk about the offenses going into the game, usually that means the defenses are what's going to be the important aspect So this is a tough one for me because I haven't—Wazoo's defense I don't know much about. I know a great deal about their offense, and I have a lot of confidence in their offense. I don't know much about their defense. Uh, Houston's defense did not look good against Oklahoma, uh, and so that's really the only thing I have to go off of. And based on that, I'm going to say that Washington State's going to win a shootout probably. Uh, I don't know— Maybe by ten points or so, uh, but it's hard to say. Given that this is basically at home for Houston, and uh, this is going to be a tough run-up matchup, I think it'll be fun to watch. Late Friday night, I expect Washington State to walk away with it, though. All right, man. I hope we don't keep making the same picks because I gotta, I gotta get a <laughs> few picks that are to stay ahead of you. Uh, next up on the next up, Stanford at UCF. So Stanford coming off of what I will call an embarrassing loss to USC in a matchup that they were favored in and UCF, uh, still looking to prove that they deserve, uh, all the hype that they continue to get nationwide, uh, ranked number 17 in the nation, uh, want to prove themselves against a big power five opponent, Andrew, who do you got in this matchup?
1: I think it's USC, UCF, because Stan keeps fucking me. Um, no, you know, KJ Costello's hurt. He might play, he might not play. Walker Little, they're all everything offensive linemen's out for the year. They're seven and a half point underdogs on the road at a UCF team, who, again, we think's pretty good. And, you know, hasn't played anybody, obviously. they played FAMU and FAU, Florida A&M and Florida Atlantic, and beat them both <laughs> So I'm going to pick UCF because every time that I pick Stanford, they fuck me. So this time I'm going to pick UCF, and Stanford's going to end up winning the
0: game. I mean, in all likelihood. I am also picking UCF uh, just on principle. I think Stanford's got too many injuries. They're coming off of a tough loss. They're traveling all the way across the country to play in the Eastern Time Zone against a very tough opponent. I think UCF's got all the edges they need. They should walk out of this one with the victory um, as long as they can pick the right starting quarterback, which I guess you could say the same thing about Stanford. That's kind of the trick of a thing uh, this week. Uh, next up, University of Florida going on the road to Kentucky. Uh, they Kentucky finally broke the 30, 32 odd uh, losing streak that they had to UF last year. So are they going to start a new losing streak this year? Time to find out. <laughs> Andrew, you asked a tough opponent going going on the road, though. Uh, do you think they're going to have any difficulty against the Wildcats?
1: I think they will, but I just think it's because we're not really sure about that Florida offense. They kind of struggled against Miami, who we've seen to be pretty good defensively. So obviously that's, that's pretty okay. And then they blew out a bad Tennessee Martin team. And so, you know, we're not sure about that. Terry Wilson, the quarterback for Kentucky, is out for the – so they're going to be playing a backup quarterback. You know, they've still tried to do what they want to do, which is run the ball, you know, try to control the ball, play defense. But I just think that Florida is going to have too much for them. That Florida defense this year is really, really good. And I think they're going to be able to shut down anything Kentucky tries to do. And I think this will probably be a pretty low-scoring game. The over-under is 50-and-a-half. I think think I'd take the under. I think Florida wins, and I'd, I'd take the under.
0: I too am picking Florida I don't I don't have a lot to say about this matchup Kentucky lost a lot of their talent uh, that they had last year in that winning uh, session uh, season that they had last year and uh, I think uh, UF is coming into this I don't think they deserve to be ranked ninth but uh, they are a talented team uh, defensively especially and I do think that this will be a pretty easy matchup for them to hold Kentucky to a couple of field goals and walk away with a pretty easy win. All right, next up, Florida State looking to bounce back from an embarrassing first couple of weeks against a very tough UVA team who is looking to run the show in the Coastal. It's going to be on the road for FSU, and UVA is going to be looking to prove themselves and possibly get Taggart fired a little earlier. So Andrew, who do you got in this matchup?
1: Man, I don't, I don't know. UVA is really, really good defensively, which is kind of what Bronco Mendenhall is known for. So it's really shouldn't be too much of a surprise. Now obviously they haven't played any offensive powerhouses in, in William and Mary. And, but then again, you know, Florida state has, scored a lot of points you know they had a 19 point lead on Boise State before they fell. a lead on UL you know this is one of those games that sets up to be kind of we think Virginia's is going to be, be good and all of a sudden Florida State comes out of nowhere um, also I think that a guy that we should add to our Fish-Smithson watch list is Virginia wide receiver Hasise Dubois you know let that one settle for a minute
0: Hasis Dubois, you say?
1: Hasis Dubois, the leading receiver for the Cavaliers currently. I really like Bryce Perkins. I really like what he does at Virginia, so I think the Cavaliers are going to win this one. Yeah. Uh, I like the offense. Uh, I like that, You know, like I said, Robert and I have been able to get back to what they did so well with Payson Hill at BYU.
0: Well, I mean, it comes back to what we talked about at the beginning of the year. Uh, Before the season even started, we essentially said – as long as Bryce Perkins is running the offense, uh, you got no reason to believe that Virginia is going to lose any matchup. And we're back at that situation. I think as long as he avoids injury, I don't see any reason why they lose this matchup. Same deal. I am also picking UVA. So, Hassis Dubois. I- I'm going to have to keep an eye out for him, though. That'll be a fun one to watch for. Um, next up, so low-key... Might be our matchup of the week. How firm are you for Herm as Arizona State goes on the road for Michigan State? This was a surprise upset last year where Arizona State got Michigan State at home and surprised, shocked, if not the world, certainly a large pops, uh, portion of the college football watchers by beating Michigan State uh, on a field goal. And I think uh, they're going to look to do it again against a ranked Michigan State this year. Uh, the difference being this time Michigan State gets them at home that's a lot harder when you're traveling across the country to deal with so we'll see this is going to be low-key I think one of the more exciting matchups of the week Andrew who do you got in this matchup?
1: I don't understand how Michigan State's a 14 point favorite. That's a little crazy to be honest with you Uh, maybe it's because they're they're giving up negative 3 yards rushing defensively
0: that probably plays a factor
1: like that's 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 incredible. Now again, they played Tulsa and Western Michigan, but that like that is insane. That you are giving up on average minus three yards <laughs> through two games. I gotta I gotta dive into this for a second. Yeah, you know, Arizona State struggled with Sacramento State on Saturday. They only won nineteen to seven in a game that they really should have pretty much handled and ran away with. So I don't really. You know, I don't really know what happened. You know, we were all kind of firm. Holy cow! So to in perspective, against Tulsa in their first game of the season, Michigan State gave up negative seventy-three rushing yards.
0: Wow. Well, I feel like part of this is the number of sacks they're getting. Probably, like I doubt that they actually gave up negative seventy-three. They've got to be. This is this is. Analytics for college football biting us in the ass. Oh,
1: it's broken.
0: Yeah, this is analytics for college football biting us in the ass by. Yeah,
1: because they. It looks like Zach Smith, the Tulsa quarterback, had. uh, What was. Hold on, let me pull it back up real quick. (laughs) Had 10 carries for a negative 32 yard. So, yeah, I think that was. I think they. Yeah, and then the, apparently they were two minus forty yard plays. Don't know if those are bad snaps or something. But again, the real story is that Michigan State's really, really good defensively, which with Mark Antonio is kind of what we expect them to be. Um, I think they're going to win at home. It's kind of like you said with Stanford. It's a long trip across the country to an area that's you know a little different. They're not really used to. It's a it's a three p.m. game, which is not bad because it's only an hour difference. But yeah, I just as firm as I want to be for Herm, the Sacramento state game, has really kind of got me spooked. So I think I'm going to go with Michigan.
0: Yeah, I want to go. I want to go with my head, but I'm going to go with my gut and this is going to bite me in the ass. I know it. Uh, I think Arizona state, I, they were probably looking ahead to this matchup. I can't see any other explanation for the Sacramento state game other than maybe they just suck. Um, And if they do suck, then this game will prove it to me, and I won't have to worry about them the rest of the year. But I'm going to go with my gut. I'm going to say Arizona State somehow comes away with this matchup, and uh, they do it again. Surprise everybody. It'll be interesting to watch because I think uh, if it is a battle, it'll be on the defensive side of the ball, and it should be interesting to see. Uh, So keep your eyes out on this one. Next up, Air Force going on the road to Colorado. Colorado coming off of a... Shocking win against a big-time Nebraska team, or what people keep calling a big-time Nebraska team. We can't seem to make up our minds on that one. Meanwhile, Air Force has won one game. They've been looking forward to this matchup and want to prove themselves against Colorado. Uh, Andrew, you usually have a lot to say about Veer offenses. What do you got to say going into this matchup about uh, Air Force?
1: The fun in-state rival. those people that don't know, the Air Force Academy is located in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Yeah, I think there are shades of a of a Michigan army in this game. Air Force has kind of struggled the past couple of years. They've been a little, a little the red redheaded stepchild of the academies for a couple of years. Charles Calhoun's kinda trying to get them back to to being a consistent player in the Mountain West as they were for a couple of years. I Hart wants to go Air Force, but I just I think Colorado's gonna ride that high. I think they've got the player. Stephen Montez played a pretty Obviously, they've got the man, the myth, the legend, and LaVisca Chennault. And I just think they've got too many hosses in too many places, and I, I think Colorado wins the game.
0: All righty. I will take Air Force. I'm going to be the antithesis to your head, and I'm going to go with my gut on this one. Uh, I, think Air Fo- I think all the academies have been riding high early in the year. They've had a game to prep for these guys, and Air Force has – I think got enough talent this year around to really kind of go out and prove themselves. It should be, again, this is going to be a low key fun matchup to watch against uh, two teams that really are going to want to prove themselves. But I think Colorado is off. Sometimes these teams get off of a big high and they just don't know how to perform the next week. And this might be one of those weeks for Colorado uh, because they're not really expecting a huge amount uh, the rest of the year. So I would look for Air Force to be to get a small upset in this game. Next up, a game that we were expecting to be pretty close, uh, maybe not so much after last week's performance. NC State at West Virginia. So yes, NC State goes on the road to West Virginia. Yes, NC State hasn't played anybody really this year. However, West Virginia just lost by thirty-seven points, I believe, to Missouri. So Thirty-one. How many?
1: It was thirty-eight
0: Oh, so it was 31. Okay. But anyway, uh, I mean, it,
1: it, it was a lot.
0: (laughs) So yeah, not a great performance for West Virginia. So I don't know, looking at this one, it's, it's kind of against a team that we don't know much about really. And a team that has done little to prove themselves, but gets the ball at home. So I guess that's good for them. I don't know what to make of this. Uh, I'll just go ahead and throw out there that I'm taking NC State because I have no reason not to. But, uh, Andrew, do you care to throw some real logic behind that, or are you just, uh, like me, no reason not to?
1: I think it's going to be the Wolfpack. Like you said, West Virginia struggled with JMU and they got blown out by Missouri. NC State's played good defense against bad teams. They scored a lot of points against bad teams, so it would be really interesting to see how challenged they are in this game. They've been pretty balanced offensively, which is great. You know, freshman – What's his first name? Zonovan, who was a, a big time recruit for them, is, has played well. And, and first time starter Matthew McKay, quarterback, has really kind of stepped into Ryan Finley's shoes. And he may not be putting up the same numbers that Finley put up, but he's, you know, he's enough of a caretaker and a good enough player to put them in places to win games. And so it'll be interesting to see. I, again, I just don't think West Virginia is very good this year. I think they're struggling losing Will Greer, losing David. If Sills, losing Daniel, man, I just don't think it's going to be their year.
0: Fair enough. I, I agree on all those points. West Virginia's just lost too much. It's kind of like Kentucky this year. All right. Next up, we got our personal picks. Andrew, uh, if you've got your personal pick ready to go, take it away.
1: I forgot what yours is and changed mine.
0: Go ahead. I'll just pick it on the fly.
1: Uh, uh, well, I want to at Penn State.
0: Pitt at Penn State?
1: Yeah, a game that we forgot was getting played.
0: (laughs) I didn't forget. Uh, I just don't expect it to be close, but prove me wrong.
1: True. I mean, it's a huge rivalry. You know, it's a 17-point spread. I think Penn State's kind of dominated this rivalry recently, and I think this is the last time they're going to play for a while. I wanted to pick this because I want to go on a rant about how... Pitt and Virginia Tech and other ACC programs like to bitch and whine and complain, we should play nine conference games. We should play nine conference games. And then Georgia Tech, Florida State, Clemson, and Louisville, who are like, we play an STC team out of conference every single year. Maybe you should play a P5 team out of conference every single year. This could be one of those games, Pittsburgh. You ever thought about that? But, yeah, I think Penn State blows them the fuck out.
0: Damn. (laughs) Do you have anything else to add? I
1: got a lot of hate. You know, Kenny Pickett's really struggled this year under a new offensive coordinator. They really liked to run the ball last year at Pitt, and they've kind of liked to run the ball since Narduzzi got there. But I just don't think the running backs they have this year are as talented as the guys they lost or, you know, a couple years ago a guy like James Conner. So I think they're really struggling in that place. They lost I believe four starting offensive linemen off last year's team, and they just haven't had a lot of time to gel. And, you know, it doesn't look like the talent is really there. You know, they struggled with Ohio, you know, really kind of bailed out defensively. They lost to UVA. It's you know, it's it's a pit team that I'm not sure if the, the Narduzzi ceiling is any higher than seven games.
0: Hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, well, it certainly hasn't proven it yet. I think next year might be a little different, but it's always, it's hard to do it when you can't recruit and you're also in a tough conference uh, against uh, tough opponents. Uh, Hopefully next year when they don't play Penn State, maybe they will win more than seven games. Who knows? Uh, It could even be a boat. It could be anything. Uh, I'm going to pick, since you're going with Pitt, Penn State, I'm going to pick, A matchup that fascinates me a little bit, Duke going on the road against Middle Tennessee State. I think this is another matchup that will low-key be closer than people realize. Um, I mean, Duke hasn't done anything to really impress anybody. Middle Middle Tennessee State is kind of in the same boat. They put up similar statistics uh, yardage-wise. Their defenses are... Decently comparable, honestly, middle Tennessee state puts up more points per game and more yardage, but they're playing less competitive teams. So I do think Duke will win this one. I think they've got a better offense at the end of the day, but it's, this is kind of an interesting circumstance of, uh, you know, playing teams on the road. I guess, uh, you don't see this a lot against big, uh, time opponents, but teams like Duke, you'll see it where, um, You know, you got a home and home and this is potentially suddenly becomes a risky matchup for Duke going on the road to a rough environment in middle Tennessee state. Who knows? This could be an upset to watch, but I do think Duke will come away with it. So I'm going to write down Duke for that matchup and who knows? We'll see what happens. All righty. Next up, our matchup of the week, which honestly surprised me a bit. Iowa Iowa State or El Asico. for those of you who are not familiar with the terminology this is a play on words on El Clasico overseas uh I guess in terms of both these teams kind of whenever they meet on the field just chaotic things seem to happen uh Andrew do you care to explain a little bit about the terminology and then go into the teams
1: sure so oh. Uh, well, is the twice yearly, sometimes more than twice, depending on how the Copa del Rey or some of the other tournaments go, matchup between Real Madrid and Barcelona soccer clubs, football clubs in Spain, which is a huge Spanish rivalry. The two most accomplished Spanish teams, both in domestic and internationally. There's also huge, huge. Political undertones given that Barcelona is is in Catalan and is a Catalonian club, as well as Real Madrid was somewhat known to be the club of notorious fascist Francisco Franco. And it's it's just a really dirty, messy, hate-filled on levels that I'm not sure American rivalries will ever truly understand given that both of those clubs were founded prior to the Spanish civil war in the thirties. So yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's a, it's a great, it's a huge robbery. And again, it's, it's two really, really good teams year in and year out. So that's also makes it exciting. Now this game, we don't really know anything. Iowa hasn't played anyone. They beat Miami, Ohio and Rutgers. And then Iowa State played a Northern Iowa team that they really, 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 really struggled with. And so, I don't really know. Iowa's a team that, much like Kansas State, all of a sudden you look up and Kirk Ferentz has won 10 games. And you're like, where the hell did that come from? You know, they have a, a really experienced quarterback in Nate Stanley, who's, who's played pretty well this year. He's got six touchdown passes. And they're pretty good defensively. You know, Iowa's always a team that's got, you know, a lot of big guys up front and, and plays really good defensively. Um, you know, I think I'm going to go with the Hawkeyes in this game. Iowa State spooked me so much with the Northern Iowa game that I'm just I'm not comfortable picking them.
0: I just want to say that uh, before we started doing the picks, I went ahead and typed out all the teams I thought you were going to pick. Nailed it
1: percent. Oh, man. You know me so well, Logan. <laughs> you
0: are predictable as fuck. That's what it is. You're probably
1: way... I mean, you're probably better at that than my wife.
0: Um, But, yeah. Uh, I'm in your head, son. Uh, that,
1: that, that's a dangerous place to be, my man.
0: <laughs> but, no. I, I'm going with my gut a lot this week. And I think this is another time that I got to go with it. Uh, I'm picking Iowa State. I don't... They are at home, so that's they got that going for them. And I think Northern Iowa is a better team than people give them credit for. Um, now, I know that was a struggled matchup, but I think that something goes to be said for teams that are got have been challenged more. Uh, it does instill a bigger will to fight. And I think the fact that this is a big rivalry for them going up against a ranked opponent, uh, and this is an opponent that they've done well, especially in the past few years against, Uh, They're going to have a fire under them to really prove themselves. And I think Iowa State could actually come out on top on this one. It's really close. I think it's going off at two, two and a half points or something like that. Um, Iowa's direction. So I'm going to pick Iowa State, just go with my gut and say that that's a distinct possibility. And uh, I wish the the Cyclones the best because it's going to be a hell of a matchup one way or the other. You think they're going to run out of bush light? Uh, in the stadium, or <laughs>
1: they, they might run out of bush light in the entire state of Iowa.
0: Oh my gosh, what a rough thought.
1: This, I... is, this is the first time that game day's ever been to Ames.
0: Really? Okay, that makes that makes sense. Because they got upset because they didn't get to go to Syracuse for the first time. But this is going to be a huge deal for them going to Ames for the first time.
1: One of, uh, one of my favorite stories about Ames. I I worked with a guy who had spent a couple of years coaching at at iowa state you know he's a big great dude but you know had played defensive line in the league for a while you know big old you know black defensive lineman great guy but he talked about how when he worked for iowa state and lived in ames it's where he learned how to cut his own hair because as he said ain't a lot of brothers cutting hair in ames
0: iowa. <laughs> that's fair no man Oh, uh, i that's something you got to come by I hope Ames has come up in the world recently because Iowa State's gotten pretty good, but, you know. Uh,
1: They're always really an interesting program because, to me, they'll have these spurts of, uh, you know, pretty good. Okay, okay, and then they'll, they'll lose a coach or they'll lose a quarterback. I, I can remember they, they beat, Either played or beat Florida State, like played Florida State really close, or beat Florida State with a quarterback named Seneca Wallace. And like I remember, for like a couple of weeks, like everyone was all about Iowa State, and they just. And so it's it's kind of interesting. They're they actually have an under five hundred all time record. They're five thirty three, six forty nine, and forty six. They've only won two conference titles, and those are both in the Missouri Valley. But I mean, Matt Campbell—he went three and nine his first year, eight and five, eight and five, and then he's one and zero oh this year. So I mean, Campbell's definitely a guy who's kind of dug him out. Paul Rhodes left him, you know. Gene, Gene Chiswick went two and ten his last year at Iowa State before he took the. <laughs> Chizik was in Iowa State for two years. He went three and nine and two and ten. And then got the
0: all. Funny how things work out. And now he's constantly on the hot seat.
1: Oh, man. Earl Bruce was the head coach at Iowa State in the late 70s before he took the, uh, the Ohio State job, it looks like.
0: Really? Huh.
1: And Johnny Majors.
0: They've had a lot of turnover and a wow. lot of talent.
1: That's crazy. Because those are two really big, you know, coaching names right there in, in Johnny Majors and Earl Bruce.
0: Uh, it's just one of those programs where people go as a launching pad, I guess.
1: Well, but like like Johnny Majors had one winning season, he went 8-4, and four. and then he left in 1970, followed immediately by Earl Bruce, who had an 8-3 season in 1976, an 8-4 season in 77, an 8-4 season in 78, and then...
0: I wonder what this says about the current uh, coach and his chances of leaving in the near future. I don't know. Yeah.
1: I mean, everyone keeps talking about Matt Campbell's the next guy, the next guy, the next guy. So, you know, it'd be interesting to see what happens if they, you know, he strings together another 8, 9, 10 win season this year.
0: Uh, time will tell. I don't know. Well, we've got a little bit of time left. Do you want to take a quick second to talk about Georgia Tech uh, going in before we close out? Yeah,
1: it's a game that you sh- we should win, just, just given that it's a it's an FCS. It's an 0-2 FCS program that's really struggled against Towson and Elon. Um, the caveat to that is it is an option program, so it would be mildly amusing for Georgia Tech to lose this game. And it's a program that beat South Carolina a couple of years ago and was actually, with alabama at halftime last year so that'll be really kind of interesting to see you know the georgia tech defense going against an offense that the jackets have played for 11 years um tech's got a lot of problems offensively the offensive line has just really struggled adjusting two guys went out mikey minahan and kenny cooper got hurt against south florida so that's really going to be a huge scramble as to to who you, who you play on the offensive line. Hopefully they can have a lot of success given that they're going to be playing a team that's probably a little bit defensively than, than what we've played so far this year, especially since we played Clemson. And to me, that that problem, and I think Dave Padno talked about it, is when you lose guys on the offensive line, you end up having to simplify the playbook. And having gone back and watched it, Tech ran a fairly simple playbook. There's a couple of RPOs that – we either missed the throw or one of the interceptions. The USF linebacker made a great play where he baited the throw and then and then tipped it. But it'll be interesting. You know, Jordan Mason, again, grown man, running the ball, really excited. But just a lot of questions uh, offensively for the Jack. Defense has played well. I'm actually really excited about them. But the offense, you know, fortunately we've got a bye week. Next week, before we go into the Temple game, so maybe that's a year, a week where you we kind of get healthy and, you know, hopefully maybe the offensive line progress a little bit. We also currently have a five offensive linemen committed for the class of twenty twenty, so there may be a lot of playing time there.
0: I would like to see us get some snaps under center. I don't think it's going to happen because most offenses that run out of the shotgun tend to stay out of the shotgun. But it would be good to see Mason get some downhill running. I I yeah. don't know, that kind of
1: or even or even out a pistol,
0: yeah, something like that. I just, I don't know it. It bugs me because he's currently clearly our best player, and we seem to be hampering him in every way possible. But uh, I think that's also trying to get the quarterbacks more confident. Um, I also kind of wish we would just pick one quarterback. But hey, you know what it is, what it is.
1: Uh, yeah. it – I don't know. It's just one of those, I think you got to pick the guy who gives you the best chance to win the game. And that might not be the guy that gives you the best long-term stability. So, I mean, I don't know. Lucas Johnson played a lot more. Didn't, you know, didn't look head to shoulders better than anyone else. I mean, the most successful was again, Tobias Oliver. And that's just because the dude's an incredible athlete.
0: Yeah. That's the tough part is I know Oliver kind of like you said, Oliver is probably not the most long-term stable quarterback, but he's the one who gets the best results game in game out. And that's just because he's a freak athlete who's really fast and really talented. I just wish he could throw the ball better. And then everybody seems to want Graham on the field, but I just haven't seen much out of him. So I don't know what to say about that. Um,
1: Yeah. And our quarterbacks all now really struggle there. There's, I don't know if it's that they're told or taught to do this is, you know, Look at your first read, and if it's not there, take off. Because we have no – and obviously, again, the offensive line struggles, so you're not going to get a good clean pocket most of the time anyway. But, I mean, a lot of times our guys will just, you know, stare down the one receiver that's their read, they'll be covered, and then they'll take off. You know, there were a lot of half-field reads that I saw, which given that it's a new offense, I'm not super surprised, but I'm also not super excited about because that's not – a good long-term, you can't can't live on one field reads.
0: Well, and that was also what I didn't like about Lucas Johnson is, I mean, um, it's not my place to critique quarterbacks because I've not been one, but he never looked comfortable in the pocket. Even when he was getting time, it looked like his first thought was like he would hold – he would kind of, like you said, stare down the receiver for two seconds and then if it wasn't open – he would immediately think about running the ball. And I'm like, at least with Oliver, it's like, you know what you're going to get, which is he's probably going to run the ball anyway, but that's because the O-line is busted. Um, but Lucas Johnson's supposed to be our big throwing quarterback, and he doesn't seem to want to throw the ball or want to do any of that stuff. Or at least he doesn't seem to be comfortable with it. I don't know, one or the other. But uh, it's, it's kind of a... It's, it's kind of a frustrating prospect when you're like, this is our best quarterback who at throwing and he's probably going to be our long-term guy, but he doesn't, he's not comfortable under sender at all or in the pocket. And that's frustrating to deal with. Yeah. Uh.
1: Yeah. It's, I don't know. It's just one of those where, you know, there's a, there's a kid that we're red That was a four star out of high school who looked really good on his high school tape. So who knows?
0: Yeah, we'll see. Time will tell. I mean, we're only going to improve, so that's the good thing. It's just frustrating that uh, the game against USF was close enough that uh, we had to be worrying about it like this. But, you know, tis what is tis. Hopefully the game against Citadel goes well and we don't have to worry about anything uh, over that time. It'd be we, nice. That would be nice.
1: And I, it's the early game too, so like, if we fuck around and lose it, my entire Saturday's just shot to hell.
0: Uh, that's why I'm going to a brewery and ignoring actually, all aspects. Actually, I
1: think that back. Spurs play Crystal Palace at eight, 9, so my day could already be shot to hell if they fucked that one up.
0: So it just goes downhill from there is what you're saying. We'll see what happens.
1: Actually, actually if, if Carolina wins or loses on Friday, then it just might be a weekend that's gone.
0: Uh, I'm wishing for the best for you, buddy. Uh, I'm just going to go to a brewery <laughs> and check the scores later and not worry about it anyway yeah that's
1: that's probably the best philosophy
0: all right well that's going to wrap us up for this week thanks as always to our listeners for tuning in and thanks andrew for coming on and feel free to tune in next week and check out what uh happens in week three have a good uh, night all right have a good night everybody return of the Mac.